Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Schiavocampo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. This week, we're joined by CBS This Morning co-host Gail King for a candid conversation about protecting black women, media in a post-Trump world, and her reaction to the Capitol Hill siege. We were talking about the big, big important news of the week, which is that Wes got a dog. That's true. Oh. And if you are able to see video of this, because we do post clips sometimes, this dog is exceptionally cute. And I'm not just saying that. Like, you know how you'll lie about somebody's kid? <laughs> <laughs> Your dog is exceptionally cute. You were saying he's a good boy. He's very good. He's extremely calm. No puppy energy at all. He just sits on the couch, sits on his bed, right? He's still figuring out that he lives here and is allowed to walk around. And so he'll... He'll like sneak over and sniff some stuff. And then he realizes we see him. He runs back to the couch, right? Like, oh no, I wasn't doing anything. We're like, no, it's all right. You can sniff the refrigerator. That's cool. Right. right. How long has he have, have you had him? When did you get him? Uh, we got him over the weekend, Saturday. Oh, so, so he's is, new, new. He's new, new. I mean, this is day, last night was night three. So is he sleeping or is he whining all night? No, he's sleeping. Um, he, he, you know, he's, a little confusion at bedtime still, but once he, you know, settles down, he's he's fine. Well, I would request um, that you post as many puppy pictures on Instagram as possible, because when I see his little face, it just makes me very happy. The same goes for your baby, um, Keith. Can you please post more baby pictures? Asher is on a social media moratorium. We Why? Are, we are safe because we... We want him to be able to live his little life without the infamy of whatever comes with social media until until the time is right. So you're going to deprive the rest of us of baby cuteness, though. Is that what you're saying? No, not 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 the rest of like you've seen him and you can see him anytime you want to see I get, him. I get and pictures every people. now and then. It has been right. weeks. It's, not that I'm counting. You have, you're definitely counting. <laughs> I'm, due, I'm just saying I'm due for a new picture. All right, well, I would love to get to our co-host now. This week, we're joined by a very special co-host. All of our co-hosts are special. We love and appreciate everybody who comes through. But this week, we are joined by none other than the one and only Gail King from CBS This Morning. Gail, hi. Hi. Hello. Hey, Gail. Thank you for hi, joining us. Well, we are so, so happy to have you here. I'm heading to D.C. and I'm like, oh. <laughs> when do you get down here? The minute I get off here, I'm jumping in the car and going. Oh, okay. Is it scary in D.C., Wesley? You know, it's so downtown is very shut down. I mean, it's like an occupied zone. Yeah, I, I went to I went down to see my barber get a haircut a few days ago, and it was like trying to find a place to park and you run into roadblocks and this thing's closed. It's shut down. The neighborhoods are fine. Right. It, there's no one's out here. No one's bothering us. There's not any. But if you're in that. You know, by the Capitol, by the White House, it's it's just a total mess. I know. Now, well, that's where we're going to be. Now, they're trying to keep everyone out. I, and, and I actually do think that this kind of like show of force. Not, yeah, like show of force or show of uh, personnel or whatnot is going to keep like, I don't think people are coming into the city. Like they wanted to send the message of stay out. Don't think it's going to be cute to walk past the inauguration. And take, yeah, yeah. Don't come, stay out, don't come. And I, I frankly think it's going to be effective because I'm not going anywhere near that stuff. I, I know, but now you hear all these stories, guys, of people infiltrating the National Guard. I mean, it's just gotten so 
cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's a total and mess. I go from A all the way to Z. So mm-hmm. I'm on my big girl panties and I'm going. <laughs> okay, sorry, Mara. Let's go. Let's go. No, no. This is this is this is the magic of Run Tell This. Is that you know the beauty of it is that most of us know each other. So it's this family vibe. So that's that's yeah. what we love. We um, think Wesley's great. We love when he comes on CBS this morning. We get very excited. Look, like, I want to talk to him. I want to talk to him. I want to talk to him. It's great. You know, Keith and I, Keith and I do that all the time too. We argue about who's going to get to talk to Wesley. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's true, Wesley. It's true. Just own it. Just all right. Own fair it. enough. Fair enough. All right. So, um, Gail, you just celebrated nine years at CVS this morning. Yes. So, congratulations on that. Yes. Um, I can't believe it, Mar. I can't believe it myself. Yeah, it goes by very, very fast. I saw that you posted that you wear the same dress every year on the anniversary. I do. You know why? Because I remember, you know, it's like when you're starting a new job, the first day of school, you want to look extra cute, whatever that means. My favorite color is yellow. And I spent so much time, I look at that dress now and I go, okay. But I spent so much time trying to decide what to wear, what fits, what looks good. Should I get something new? Should I not? And so yellow, yellow is my favorite color. And I'm in my kitchen right now. Yellow. I mean, Yellow just always makes me happy. It's a it's a happy color to me. It's the color of sunshine and butter, both of which I like and I enjoy very much. And so I've only I only wear that dress on that particular day. And it's just sort of a tradition, superstition, I don't know what you call it, but it's just a reminder of here I here I still am. You know, I'm sort of the last man standing from the original team. And I remember talking to Diane Sawyer years ago, who did Morning News, and she was celebrating her 10th anniversary. And I said, I don't know how you could possibly do that for 10 years. And now I'm sitting here at year number nine, going, (laughs) next year is going to be year number 10. I got two more years left, so I will be, you know, God willing, knock on wood, I will be celebrating my 10th anniversary. So this, so this is the easy question. What's what's been, if you had to, if you had to run down two highlights, the two things that you just enjoyed the most, or just really thought were the most important stories that you've done in nine years, what are they? Well, I loved when the Smithsonian Museum opened in D.C., and that we were the first and only show that got to go there live. So we were there when it first opened. I'll never forget that uh, because you know, what the museum represents, the fact that we could take the show on the road, the fact that they allowed us to take it on the road. And then, you know, when um, another story that stands out and regretfully so is the Newtown school shooting when that happened, because I anchored the news in Connecticut for a gazillion years. I was on local news there for 18 years. So I knew that area very well. I knew that state very well. I mean, that's one of those things where you'll always remember where you are. Um, you know, that's the beauty of this business. You know, we have a front row seat to everything that happens, everything. And, you know, when the Obamas, uh, when I was, when the Obamas were in the White House and I got to interview them both for the Super Bowl, you know, there's a tradition that you get to, whatever the network is, gets to interview the president. Yeah. And uh, he agreed, but then we said, you know, could Michelle join the interview too? That had never happened before. So that's one of the, I look at those pictures and I go, oh yeah, I like that. You know, <laughs> there's something about walking with the president of the United States 
uh, heading to the Oval Office that I don't care who you are is a cool shot. Yeah. And, you know, I have great respect for the White House and all that it represents. So that was, you know, there are many highlights. Keith. It would be hard, honestly, to pick one, honestly. One of the things that really stands out to me, I, I was telling someone this the other day, is that it feels to me like you've really solidified the spot as kind of one of the go-to television interviewers, that you are making news and booking folks who everyone's trying to get to be at the the grand jurors and the Breonna Taylor case, the R. Kelly sit down, the, uh, you know, just time and time again. And so can you talk about kind of for you, when you think about who you want to talk to, how you go about getting them, you know, every journalist, every person who's got a producer and a, and a camera is trying to get these folks. How do you, how do you ensure that you're the one who, who gets them? And, and how do you consider who you want to talk to versus who you don't and, and kind of your philosophy about what makes a well, good interview? I'm from the school, Wesley, if you don't ask, you don't get. I also believe any question can be asked. There's just a time and a place to do it. You know, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, and I'm always very conscious of that. I pride myself on not being a gotcha type person. I'm, I'm never trying to ask you something to get you to make you look bad. And I, I find, you know, I'm quite good at groveling. If it's something that I really want. Like I, I literally chased Dave Chappelle for two years, you know, cause he wasn't doing any inter interviews and I didn't really know Dave Chappelle, but I just like him. I like his work. I was fascinated by his story. How is he? I chased Bruce Springsteen for eight years, you know, <laughs> because I, I, I really, really like him as well. So, I mean, there's those type of interviews. And then there's a the news of day interviews where something is happening and you think, gosh, I'd really like to talk to this person. But I don't know, you know what it's like when you hear a good story and you want to get the person. And if, and if people will say, you know, it would help if you call, then sometimes I'm willing to do that. And then other times I'm not. Other times I'm willing, look, just tell them that I'm interested. I, I don't want to be, you know, they'll say we could send a fruit basket. Please never send a fruit basket with my name on it. Please, <laughs> please never, never do that. Sure. And, and you know, what's interesting um, with these interviews, especially when people have had something tragic happen, it can go one of two ways. They're really pissed off and insulted that you asked, or they're glad that you asked because they want to talk about who the person was or whatever happened. So I, I basically adhere to the, if you don't ask, you don't get category. What's the worst that can happen? They're going to say, no, I don't want to talk to you. And you, and you don't have an interview you already didn't have. Yes. And so you've yes. lost. Now I think that that's so important though, because I, you know, I, I think of, I, I think of it the same way. And I think that sometimes people don't see that, or they can't see obviously the work that goes into that. Right. I, yeah. you know, one of my. And Wesley, it is work. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's not just people are saying, Oh, I want to talk to Gail King. Let me now. I'm sure that happens sometimes. Right. Yeah. But, sometimes, but that's not often how it happens. That's not no, true. There's work. Well, usually it's the people it. you, it usually it's the people you don't want to talk to who are clamoring to get interviewed. <laughs> like you get pitched, you, you get pitched a million times to talk to people who are not newsworthy or just have no business on, on air or on the podcast or whatever. It's the people so you true. want to talk to who That's you have so to pursue. True. Or Keith, my other thing is people that write these books that honest to God could be a great magazine article. You know, something has happened and before you know it, they've written a full blown memoir about themselves. And you go, you know, that could have been a really nice magazine interview. But you're, you're so right about that.
Plus, I think it helps too to have a really good booking team. Oh, yeah. well, booking, well, I think, is absolutely. one of the hardest jobs. I, in I news. do too. It is one. Mari, you're so right. It is one of the hardest jobs, and most times it's the booking team that's out there that are, you know, laying the groundwork, laying the foundation, that are knocking on the doors, that are making the initial contact, and 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 I do think that there is a skill to doing that. Skill Shout out to bookers. How hard did we have to grovel to get you on here? <laughs> We get a we get a memo by email that's saying that like this is who we this is who we're having. So I got the memo and it's like we're having Gail King. Oh, that's fan that's fantastic. But I don't know how much begging we needed to do. You don't know I saw Wesley's name and I saw Mars' name, honest to God, because I have so, I have so much shit going on. I mean, my plate is full. But honestly, Sam who who brought it to me, I said, it's them, let's let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to do it. This is the thing I learned very early on. Um, you know, you get these famous people, and I'm not putting myself in that category, but you get these very famous people, and then their team says, no, they can't do it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they would really like to. But you are the person who can say, I want to do this. And if you say, I want to do this, then it will be done. They will. I don't care how busy you are. If you want to do something, I, I, a funny story. I learned that from Oprah, actually, because Oprah said to me that her team said, you know, we said you just don't have time. She goes, wait, 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 well, what is it again? And they told her what it is. And she goes, well, I, I actually do want to do that. They said, oh, OK. They said to her, oh, OK. And, and Oprah goes, but it's always, you know, it's always my decision. And I, and I realized at that moment, it's true that, quote, talent can always make the decision. Now, there are some times, you know, where I've, I've reached out to the person directly and, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And next thing I know, their person is calling back saying, they didn't realize that they have this to do and I'm so sorry they can't do it, which happened to me recently. And I actually believed it because then they rescheduled. But, you know, you can always, you know, no, Susan Zarensky, who's, who's, you know, Wesley, it's a, you know, president of CBS News. She said, no, it's just a starting point. And I like that. <laughs> no, that's really spot. So you're saying you didn't get the fruit basket I sent you to, for this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to booking, I mean, it, relationships is so much of it, right? So I have a, a really good friend. We work out together all, well, pre-COVID, we used to work out together all the time. His name is Lance Frank. I uh, have known Lance oh, since he was a student. Place. Yes, much like I have known Wes since he was a student. And so when we started the podcast, I reached out to Lance and I said, Lance, please, like, who is the person who could could get this request in front of Gail because we would love, love, love to have her on. And, you know, I will tell you a, a story um, that like, first of all, and I don't say this to, to just anybody, like you are an idol of mine. Like to have you here with us just means the world. I and don't believe that. It is the absolute honest <laughs> to God truth. And many, many years ago, it was the, it was 2000 and I believe 2008. But I used to watch you on TV. Okay. Yeah. So this is the story. So <laughs> I was backstage at Oprah's last taping, the show, the 20, the, the final taping, it was at that big arena in Chicago. In I was Chicago, covering it for the, the Today Show. Yes. And I'm backstage, you know, we're kind of in that work press room and you, you're walking by and you stop and you said, I watch you on the Today Show. <laughs> and when I tell you, Gail, every live hit I did after that, I would think like, you better bring it because Gail <laughs> might be watching you. <laughs> like watch. that is how, that is how much that meant to me. I did watch. I yeah. did. Um, you know, that was a crazy day. God, that was such a crazy day. Yeah, yeah, it was so. And I met Beyonce that day too. So that's like a day that, like, we'll go. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I, I'm still chasing her and Jay. I would love that. I've just given up on that. 
You know, I, I, people will say, well, do you want to reach out? I go, I have asked and asked and asked. Um, sure, go ahead and ask them. But, you know, yeah. they're very private, as you know, and they just don't do interviews. And, and the truth of the matter is they don't need to. Same with Bruce Springsteen. He doesn't need to do an interview to sell anything that he's doing. And yeah. They're sort of in that category. There is something that I wanted to ask you about, because you've done a lot of coverage with the Breonna Taylor case. And I yes. feel like that story really opened the door to a conversation about protecting black women in a way that yeah. I had not heard before. I know that I have often felt unprotected. I know a lot of my sisters have felt that way. And so to hear that phrase, protect black women, become part of the lexicon is incredibly meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember last year, you know, after the interview with Lisa Leslie, I, I was I was furious at some of the reaction that came um, from that, especially from black men. Did you feel protected in that moment? No, no, no. I mean, I might as well have been standing in front of you buck naked. No, I felt no protection whatsoever. So you felt anger. I felt hurt because I just thought the people that know me and the number of people that know me that I'm getting this much vitriol, what I have to say was actually shocking to me. It was actually shocking. And, you know, I had a lot of sleepless nights. I had a lot of, um, it was very, very painful to me you know, still is in many ways. So no, I, I didn't feel protected at all. You know, it was interesting, Mark, because people would reach out to me privately and say, oh, this is terrible. I have had that experience. And I think oh, to myself, why so are you bad. saying anything publicly? This is so bad. I'm really thinking about you. But but, but people <laughs> were so afraid. You know, I, I kind of get it because, you know, if you would show any ounce of support for me, any, any ounce, then you're the then you're also vilified when and 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 I I'll, I'll say this I'm o I'm okay with that I'm okay with that when when okay when you what? interview when the the vilification that comes with supporting someone who deserves support when when you were attacked and and you and I didn't I think I'm the only person here that I didn't have a prior relationship with you before this moment. Um, but as a journalist and as one who has many, many friends, people like Mara uh, and, and et cetera, just on down the line through, through my career, have seen the attacks that black women in this business specifically receive. I've made it a point to, to, to push back against that when I, when, when I hear it in my little corner of the world. Yeah. So when people so after your Lisa Leslie interview and after your R. Kelly interview, when I would see people, whether it was people I knew or people I didn't know uh, who would attack, who would attack you and, and you know, and, and black women broadly, because then it just became something that wasn't just about Gail King. It was about, see, they get these they get these women and, you know, these black women and they try to position black women against black men. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, I know, because Lisa and I were always fine. She correct, and I never correct. had any problem. She was okay with it. But here's the bigger thing. I, I come from a background. I worked at ESPN. I was a sports, I was, I was a, an editor at ESPN. I was a, 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 a sports reporter uh, at, at Boston Globe. And it's, so I come from, so I have all these friends who have covered the NBA, right? Um, and I know a lot of people who who covered Kobe and who and who spent time with him. The the girl dad Kobe that people like to talk about and wear that you know wear shirts and stuff like Kobe was a girl dad. That guy would have never ever tolerated 
the disrespect that was directed at you and at black women for asking the question that you asked. Kobe would have shut that down. Kobe Kobe would have never gone for that. Kobe would have never appreciated that in his name. I actually heard that. And, And let me tell you something. I admired and had great respect and still do for Kobe Bryant. I have a son who who just was crazy about him, crazy for him. So when it happened, I felt a tremendous, tremendous loss myself. I had just seen him recently, him and Vanessa at, at Puffy's party. We had a great exchange. I mean, so I, I was also hurting and all of that got, it just turned upside down in a way that I can't, I, I sat there and went, how in the world did this happen? How in the world this happened? And then I would see other people who would ask the exact same question, the exact same question, and nothing happened, and nothing happened. And so I just had to, you know, take all the incoming, take all the incoming, and just figure out a way to carry on. But it was very, very painful. Do you feel a responsibility Despite all that pain and despite all everything that you go through, do you feel a specific responsibility or or different weight as a as a black woman who occupies a very unique place um, in 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 the larger culture, not just in journalism, but because of what you do and where you're positioned in the larger culture that there are there's going to be black folks who who take every word that come out of your mouth that comes out of your mouth and every question that that you ask, especially of somebody like Elise, Elise Leslie or an R. Kelly and gives it a and, and gives it a, a, a gravitas that maybe in the moment you don't feel. Do you do you understand where that comes from or is it something that you respond to after the moment has has passed and it's gone viral? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I didn't sit there. When I was doing the interview, I think, oh God, I better not do this. I better not da da da. I just look at it as, you know, I, I thought it was a fair question. And I think that in this job, sometimes we have to ask uncomfortable questions that just sort of comes with the territory. But I, I wasn't thinking that it was mean spirited. I, I just think I looked at it as it was a legit question and that I had a job to do. And I think that you could ask it in a sensitive manner. I thought, you know, it's it's two black women. I knew how she felt about him. I knew how I felt about him. So I, I didn't, I, I was surprised when it turned the way that it did, I was. I do find that I'm definitely, you know, I've had times where I've interviewed people uh, early on when I was starting and there was a woman that had, you know, rollers in her hair and before we started I said do you want to take out the rollers before we go on camera you know <laughs> I was I was sort of sensitive to that but I, I wasn't thinking I, I I don't want to look at it because I'm black I can't ask certain questions I I, I don't I, I don't want to do my job that way I don't want to feel that way about the job that I do but I certainly as a black person carry all senses all sorts of sensitivities to a story that I'm carrying to a story that I'm covering like I, I can remember for instance Trayvon Martin when Trayvon Martin I'm in a meeting very few people of color at the meeting and I said this is a big story they said no it's a local story da 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 and I go I'm telling you this is a big story the fact that he's 17 iced tea skittles blah blah blah, blah did blah. you feel heard Huh? Did you feel heard? Well, well, it's interesting you would ask that you would say that because 
it was sort of, no, it's a local story. And I said, look, we really have to do something. And we did, and we did because I was sort of, nah, 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 nah. the next day, someone said to me, oh, your little story oh, wow. uh, didn't rate, didn't rate. People aren't interested in that. And I said, well, you know what? People don't care. And I said, well, sometimes I wasn't doing it, you know, the little story. I wasn't doing it for people to care. I was doing it because sometimes we need to bring things to their attention that they're not aware of. And maybe this is something they should care about. I mean, and they will tell you, uh, um, Trayvon's mom, Sabrina, who I've become, you know, friendly with, we were the first people that did that on a national basis. And that was a really good example to me of how important it is to have people of color at the table or in decision-making positions. So when and I think that's say, and I think that's one of I'm sorry I, I think that's that 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 is one of the important things that that a lot of people don't understand like those who would attack you or those who, and we've all we've all faced this at some point in our careers but those who those in our own community who would look at us and disagree with the way that we've covered something particularly they don't you don't understand that that on the flip side of it we are also in a newsroom talking to a producer or talking yeah. to an editor or talking and to advocating a booker and, chief advocating and, and advocating exactly and you, can't, you can't sit there and go well you know i did the da 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 you know how i feel about you just have to you just have you just to take it, it. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to do your job do your job you know try to do it as best you can you know take the incoming when it comes and carry on. Well, to that end, you know, there were a lot of black journalists who were sounding the alarm about the racism and the dog whistling of the Trump administration years and years ago when he was a candidate um, and received much the same response that you did in pitching the Trayvon Martin story. Are you sure it's about Ray? So I don't know. He's this fun guy. He's from The Apprentice. Everybody loves him. You're fired. Do you feel that now going forward that the voices of black journalists will carry some more weight, especially black women, given that we've demonstrated now this tremendous amount of political power? Um, in this election. Do you think that those voices will be paid more attention to now or is it just going to be business as usual? No, I don't think it'll be business as usual. And I think George Floyd changed that. I mean, the fact that we could all watch in real time George Floyd dying in front of our eyes in eight minutes and 46 seconds, we'll all never forget it. I think many people, white America said, oh my God, this is really racism. Listen, we've all known this story. We didn't know it could be to that degree. I mean, that was shocking to everybody, shocking to everybody. But I think people paid attention in a way that they hadn't before. And I think people are open to the conversation and want to hear the conversation and actually want to do better. I honestly do believe that. Yeah. And I'm not saying we're always right. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying that either. But we should have a voice. A couple of stories that, you know, where uh, black men have been shot and you hear the details, you go, well, that's a little different, y'all. Right, but I mean, it's the so, it's the so voice of being heard. I don't just lump everybody and say, you know, you know, uh, a bl- unarmed black man or a black man shot. This must be a matter of racism. I don't do that either. I don't do that either. These are not all these all of these stories are not the same. They're not the same. But there's too many of them. I will say that there's far too many of them. I mean, the, the latest example. Listen, it's right before our eyes on January 6th. If that had been a Black Lives Matter protest, mm. oh God! I mean, they just had a story here in Brooklyn about a Black Lives Matter protest just the other day. You're just treated very differently. I think when you, I would say sometimes, just show the imagery. You know, I've seen white guys who were arrested who were spitting at the police, who were cursing at the police, who were lunging at the police, and they're trying to reason with them. 
And we still haven't had an honest conversation about that, that I think people are afraid. And why are they afraid? Somebody really needs to come clean about what they're afraid of. Because you even saw in the Capitol the other day, there's that one police officer saying, you know, could I ask you all to leave? (laughs) (laughs) And and they're in the Senate chamber. (laughs) (laughs) Could I ask you, you fellas, could I ask you fellas to leave? I mean, if a a group of black men had rushed through that barricade the way, and still, that imagery of them charging up the steps still just takes my breath away. Well, the one that, that sticks with me is the woman being led down the steps by the police officer so she doesn't hurt herself on the way out. Thank you <laughs> well, for coming. Thank you and, for coming. And, and for those of us, you know, when or, I started... Or, or, or guys opening up the barricades like right this way. <laughs> no. You know, what's wild is, so when I started in D.C., I covered Congress at the Washington Post. And so I spent, my desk was in Capitol Hill in the building. I was there every day. And what's remarkable is the Capitol Police were sticklers for all types of little stuff, yeah. right? You had to, you couldn't go, you know, into some of these hallways unless you were in a tie and a jacket. They yeah. would stop you. No, you can't come down here. Where's your, yeah. and you're like, it's Friday. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. I can't, the, the Congress I mean, isn't even here right now. Yes. <laughs> Wesley, I do consider it a sacred space. You know, when I go it to is. the Capitol, I almost feel like you have to whisper. Of you course. know, walking in the rotunda, you don't want to be the loud talking group you, because you just have reverence for what it represents. For, for what it is. Throwing around all sorts of F-bombs and let's take this over. Just, oh, and what you said, it was, it was just so, there was such a disrespect. When I took that job, one of my colleagues and friends at the Boston Globe, he'd previously covered Congress and he, he t- looked to me and he said, he said, the thing you're going to love about working on the Hill is that you go to work in a museum every day. You're, you're, you have the bust and the paintings and the, and I think that's one of the reasons it was such a violation, not even just going on the Senate floor or the House floor, but that those paintings they're walking past, France sent that to us in 1807 yeah. or, you yeah. know, that's, those are the, the bust of the vice presidents of the United States. I Each know. one has, the, I so know. there was this very kind of visceral violation yeah. about all of this. Yeah. And it, and, and as you know, and as everyone, it's, it's just apparent when you watch it, you can't imagine a world yeah. where a different set of people attempts to do any of this yeah. and it doesn't end very differently. The thing I always say, and I know it's different because he's the president and that's why, but imagine a world where Louis Farrakhan held a, held a rally in a march and said, go down to the Capitol Hill and let yeah. them know. And then yeah. people stormed it. But also law enforcement was prepared. I mean, nobody should have been caught off guard by what happened on January 6th. They were woefully underprepared. Well, there were t-shirts also, printed Umar, with the it's date. It's hard when you see, think that some of the law enforcement might have been involved in absolutely, it. You absolutely. Know, absolutely. Taking selfies and allowing, and this is the thing. Many people in the crowd actually thought uh, Trump was leading them. You know, right. We did interviews yes. where they, they thought that he was actually physically there in, in front with them because we're doing the inauguration. I hope nothing pops off. Well, I'm very, <laughs> don't want anything to pop off. Right. No, we don't. I, I, hope I really just safe. hope that it'll just be sane and that there will be uh, dignity to it. But I, I'm just, I am a little nervous. I just don't want to put that out in the universe. But. You know, you know, Gail, I don't want to, you know, ever want to make predictions or anything. But my my sense is I do think it's going to be, you know, I, okay, I okay. my, with me. my feeling. Sure. Let me see if I have your number in case I yeah, need no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was going to say, you could come, we got you. <laughs> Wesley, you know, I'm out here. <laughs> and Wesley has really good protest spidey senses. So if he yeah. says it's going to be calm, he's probably I, I right. It, I honestly think it's going to be 
you know, I, I'm more worried about the state capitals than I am. Wait, I got. I thought I had your thing. No, hold on. Oh, yeah. If anyone gives you trouble, come through. We'll, we'll make dinner and hang out on the porch. Okay. And he has a new puppy. So that's always a draw. Oh, I love dogs. What do you have? Uh, so he's a Husky Shepherd mix, uh, 12 weeks old. Just What's got his him. What's name? Freddie, after Frederick Douglass. Oh. Um, so my my uh, my that's partner, nice. my, my girlfriend and I, our first date was to the Frederick Douglass two, uh, 200th birthday gala oh. at the Library of Congress. And so we- We, we uh, like her then. We like what her. What a sophisticated yes. first yeah, we, date. My husband took we, me to Taco Bell and that is a true story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Gail. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Runtell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.